Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 253. It's confusing when there's two in a week. I get all spun. Um, Hope you all enjoyed Wednesday's podcast with Mary J. Blige, living legend. I loved it. Um, And let's get rather swiftly into this week's podcast with Joe Cornish. I need to tell a little story first, though, because there was... There was some sound and technical issues. Now, basically, uh, when I do these press junkets, more often than not, as you will know, I've probably mentioned a lot, I've got a lot of kit. It's quite unwieldy, but it's why we get good recordings and it sounds dope. And it's why we get natural conversations. I bring these big, heavy mic stands so that my guest isn't having to hold a mic, so it stops being an interview and becomes a conversation. There's a lot of things there for a reason. So generally, I turn up at these junkets i get there super early if you heard the end of your drunk cast you'll know i've got an amusing reputation for getting there ridiculously early i get there early so i've got time to set up more often than not they'll be using multiple rooms so for example the guest will be doing an interview in room four i'll be able to go into room five and set up my kit when that interview ends they'll come in to my room have the interview and while they're talking to me, the other room will be being, the person will be leaving and a new person will be going in. That's more often than not the case. Um, On this one, it wasn't. And I think it's probably on me. I hadn't made it clear I need a bit of time to set up. I thought I had, but I hadn't. So I just go into the room. I was told, oh, yep, it's ready now. I go in and Joe's there. And Joe's lovely and relaxing. But no matter how nice and lovely a person is, if you've got to spend 10 minutes setting up your kit with them there, it's going to be rushed and panicked and awkward and nervous. So I set up. And again, Joe wasn't putting any pressure on, but I knew that there was time restrictions on all press junkets. So I set up. I set everything going. I did the interview, had a lovely time. It was a bit shorter than we would have hoped, but again, I took up some time setting up, so it's on me, you know. Um, it's why it became a bonus episode, because it's a little bit sh- sh- shorter than even the the mary one on friday but and also his film comes out today we'll get to that so i set up it's all done i leave with my kit i go to see brett goldstein's films to be buried with live at the bfi it's fantastic um i hand out a load of pod bible and then i head home and then i get my kit i unload it i transfer it i send it over to buddy peace and then at the end of last week i get a message from buddy peace saying the joe cornish episode is blank it's 45 minutes long or whatever it is but it's blank and i'm like oh damn like there's nothing there and i check and there's nothing there and it's stressful man because this was a lovely chat and we I, I i'm a big fan of joe cornish anyway and we really it felt like we could just chat comfortably and it was gone it was blank in my rush to set up i'd done something wrong i'd not flicked a switch it was all rolling and recording but it wasn't taking in sound thankfully the unit i'm talking into now is my backup podcast unit um, and i always have that on the table now so we still recorded it and the sound i think is pretty great But I thought I'd tell you this story just as a warning that the sound isn't going to be quite as good as usual, but I guarantee it'll be absolutely fine. Buddy Peace is a wizard on these things. But yeah, that's the story and the explanation. But the reason I was there to talk to Joe Cornish was his new film, The Kid Who Could Be King, which comes out today as as you hear this. If you're listening on the Friday, I mean, if you're not, I should mention, all right, it comes out on Friday the 15th. Jeez, 
there you go i'm telling you so yeah it's fantastic i went i was lucky enough to go to a gala screening um at the big odeon in leicester square it's just it's just reopened for things like this um it's huge it's amazing i got to take my goddaughter her sister and their mother and it was beautiful to watch i mean we talk about it in the episode so i won't go into too much detail now but yeah it was lovely in fact let's just get into the podcast this is episode 250 something three i think with the legend cornballs mr joe cornish uh, greetings, all Distraction Pieces listeners and crew. Uh, this is producer Buddy Piece under orders from the man upstairs. That's Scroobius Pip, obviously. So yeah, this is just to sort of offer some context as to how the episode begins. Uh, basically, it's Joe just confirming what Pip would prefer to be referred to as, like whether it's Pip or his given name. And um, yeah, it, it cuts in this way because obviously we're, we're resorting to a backup recording and um, I, I think Pip's already elaborated on all that already. So um, yeah, and that, that's it really, just, you know, checking in, making sure that you all know it's not an accident and that I wasn't editing with my eyes and ears closed as it may appear. <laughs> um, I, I, it's not that bad. Anyway. It's a cracker of an episode. You'll enjoy it, of course. So, uh, yeah, here's uh, Scrooby's Pip with Joe Cornish. Today, as a load of stores have just been closed, but since I worked in HMV, everyone knew me as Pip. And then um, it's funny because now I'll have people call me David or say Dave to try and imply that, that they know me well and we're good to imply friends. Imply that they've looked at your Wikipedia page. Yeah, and it actually just exposes them for not knowing me that well. So it's, mm. a, it's always an interesting one. But do you um, like to be Joe, or do you still go by Cornballs, or is there any other... <laughs> Captain Cornballs, <laughs> Professor Cornballs. <laughs> no, I don't. That was a name given to me by listeners, I think. I don't, nobody really calls me Cornballs. It's a very insulting name. <laughs> yeah, it's not. No, famous, I don't. I liked it? it. I'd like to be called anything. I don't mind. Yeah. Well, um, people used to call us different things, didn't they? That became an ongoing thing at the when people would write into the Adam and Joe radio yeah. show. It's a fascinating one, because... It's weird. I look at you and Adam as as kind of two of the the kings of podcasting, but you never actually did podcasting. You did a radio show that was turned yeah. into a podcast that I listened to as a podcast. So some of my early memories of listening to podcasts was you guys, and it didn't occur to me until ages That's later. A, that does like, that not meet the official description of what a podcast is? Or is that kind of like the lazy, entitled yeah, type no, way of no, doing a there's, podcast? There's no official one. You can... But yeah, no, it's more, it's confusing because podcasting has become this thing where it's its, its own thing. Originally, it was a, f- a format of yep. radio shows putting into edit and then it's become its own thing. And it's like, because yes. I, I, I had, or when Adam was starting out podcasting, he hit me up for a few tips and bits of advice. Mm. And I was sat there thinking, you're the podcasting guy though. You've done, you've done podcasts, yeah, you're but it right. was always part of a It used to be an ancillary body thing a little attachment to a piece of media that already existed yeah but now the good ones are in and of themselves aren't they yeah yeah completely it's a it's a weird world 
Did, uh, do you listen to many podcasts? Are you a podcast fan? I listen to the Adam Buxton podcast. <laughs> Great choice. <laughs> I like it a lot. Uh, do you f- feel weird if you ever listen uh, when Louis on? Because you'd naturally want to jump in and engage in the conversation because they're two of your oldest well, friends. Well, there's a funny thing. You probably have this like any friend who you know extremely well who has uh, who exists in the media in any form you will know when they're not being themselves. Yes. Or you will yeah. absolutely be able to detect when they're being their media <laughs> self. So with yeah. both of them, I can tell when it's... a ni- I have to say 99% of the time they're both... Yeah. You know, they're not uh, invented personalities at all. But occasionally, sometimes I can hear a note in Adam's voice that belies something in him that I know that other people don't. And the same with Louis. They tend to get quite drunk, Louis and Adam. Yeah. I don't drink, but they tend to get quite drunk. So that makes them behave very naturalistically. But yeah, you can certainly spot it when they're not being their authentic selves. Yeah, but, it's exciting yeah. to spot, right? I genuinely, there's, I'll, I'll, I'll name and shame now, but Brett Goldstein does an amazing right. film podcast. Yes. You should go on if you're about at some point, but he's fantastic. But every now and then, I will hear his, his heart be broken. But I guess that he's not as friendly. A lot of them are his friends because he's in film and comedy and all sorts right. of other stuff. But every now and then he'll do one with who's like just a you know a famous person or someone who's been pitched to him. And you'll hear. I, I remember one he'd been talking about the Muppets, and he's going to be furious. I'm highlighting this, and I know he, he adores the Muppets. Yes. And his guest said, "Yeah, man, I love Sesame Street. It was a really good." And moved on. And I could Ooh. hear Brett say, mm-hmm, "Yeah," <laughs> and just be polite and nice because it was yes. still that excitement. But yeah. That wonder of, of hearing yeah. their little yeah. hearts break. I like it when they talk about me, Adam and Louis. Yeah, I find it um, pleasing. Do you feel? <laughs> do you listen as them talking about you, or as them talking about the version of you that is kind of preserved in that in the Adam and Joe show? Anything. History? It's just exciting, even to have you say that. <laughs> it's just anything. I love it. Any kind of um, any kind of ego inflation. I'm I'm there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we'll, to be talked about in the third person just in and of itself is brilliant yeah it's wonderful right well I mean we'll go all over the place over it's this the second time I've said in and of itself it's good it's good to have a catchphrase yeah, you're establishing a catchphrase already, on, already on the Pip and Joe yeah. show hooray <laughs> um, but we're here primarily to talk about the kid who would be king yes which is very exciting right oh for me it is yes how was it I, I got to come along on Sunday Oh, the cool. Odeon. I bought my goddaughter and her little sister and their mum. How old are they? Um, seven and f- five, I think. And I mean, was the five-year-old okay? She was okay. She got yeah. a bit nervous and had to, to sit on her mum's lap a yeah, few times. Yeah, a little bit scary. Um, the seven-year-old, I, I'm i a big fan of going and watching films for yeah. all ages, but generally going in the daytime when no one's there, I've never seen yes. the appeal of watching with other people. Yeah. <laughs> but watching this with my goddaughter next to me, I saw the appeal because, and we'll get into it, but Merlin, for me, the young man who played him was a bit of a show stealer. Absolutely yes, amazing. Yes, I agree. And the hand movements thing, just watching her just doing oh. these weird hand movements, as she's watching, even on different scenes, just, yeah. just trying to do the That's magic so spell cool. type movements, it added another layer to it for me. So it was, I suddenly got the... This is why people go and see films with other people, rather than yes. all the annoying reasons. Yeah. There's the positives of a room full of people enjoying it. Yeah, especially laughing. kids. It's It's been a very unique experience, the whole process, really, because there's so many young actors involved. Yeah. And their families have been around. 
and all the test screenings have been with families. So it just changes the vibe. It doesn't. It's not such a sort of self-serious process. You're taking it very seriously because you want it to be good. Yeah. But you're uh, you're hoping for a response from kids, and they're very unmediated un, um, in the way they respond, and they really articulate what they think, and they're yeah. really happy when they love it. And I'm pleased to say, even from the first test screenings for seven to fourteen year olds, they've just sort of flip their lids it can be a tiny bit scary for seven and under if you're sensitive yeah. but only in the same way that like snow white and the seven dwarfs or star wars or you know bambi's mum getting shot you know any every disney yeah. film you know i think good kids films are a little bit they've got a real sense of threat because then there's something for the heroes to overcome and it's properly satisfying when they win and that's maybe something that's missing from some animation you know, the stakes aren't quite as real, maybe. Yeah, I completely agree. I think people forget, because Disney is Disney, and you think of it as this clean, puffy thing, people forget that every Disney film, when we were growing up, they all had the theme of, oh, either both or one of your parents have died. Yeah. Which is a huge thing to continuously throw at kids. But it was was part of it, and it, 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 it drew you in, and it... As, as over the the, the, the top as it sounds, mm. it did address, you know, death and mortality and family and things like that in still this light bubbly thing. So, yeah, I think we have kind of in many ways over sanitized or over protected. Well, kids, it's either that, TV isn't it? Or it's too far the other way or it's or it's um, what they call four quadrant movies like superhero movies that play to all ages yeah. and are full of quite full-on bloodless yeah, violence point, yeah. and super scary end-of-the-world Armageddon scenarios, which my movie has slightly as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but, but sometimes I think, you know, PG-13 or 12A movies that little kids go to can be a bit much or a bit ultra-violent, yeah. like... I was thinking Hollywood movies, if a punch really had the effect that a punch genuinely does, most Hollywood movies would just be over by minute two. Yeah, because the person's nose bone would be lodged in their brain and they'd be dead. It's why it's why even in, in kids' films where they have playground fights, yeah. they smash each other in the face in a way I find is really, um, really slightly odd. It's the reason originally in professional wrestling. Um, Closed hand strikes were illegal because they felt huh. it was unrealistic. It would give huh. away that it's fake because if you're punching someone wow. in the face, if it's open hand strikes, you can get away with it. But that was it. It was put across as it's a safety thing. It was to to keep the illusion because they felt it was too unrealistic. Yet in film, all the time really? now, you get people get punched and yeah, it's there's weird, nothing. Isn't there's it? no effect. No punching in this film. No. So so <laughs> so what drew you to doing a kids' film essentially? Because it's I, I, was, I was lucky enough. I had, I had Garth Jennings on the podcast. Yeah, we we hit it off, and I've I've got to go and visit him in uh, Illumination and see just the wonderful worlds he's creating there. And it was great to see. I don't know. It's weird. I, I feel as film fans or film nerds, it's not always a natural thing to go. I want to make films. I want to make a kids' film. Your natural first thought is often, I want to make. It's going to be highbrow. It's going to be so intelligent. Mm. It's going to be cool. So. What was it that made you go? No, I want to make something that's just got all this heart and this 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 content of of of, of youth and excitement and positivity. It was just the, the idea. It's just an idea. And I had the idea when I was 
12 or 13. Oh, wow. So it was just an idea I had for a film. It was the same with Attack the Block, really. It was just an idea that I thought was good. So it wasn't led by any great plan, career plan. Yeah. I just thought it would make a good film. And it was, and I suppose it was, um, you know, I like, it, it was fun to do something a bit different as well because Attack the Block obviously was for teenagers, really. Mm-hmm. Lots of swearing and yeah. weed smoking and yeah. throats being ripped out and yeah. shit. And it was kind of nice to, to have the challenge of not being able to do any of that stuff, yeah. but still try and make it exciting and, and thrilling. It was just fun to do different stuff. When I was a, a teenage film fan, I used to be slightly obsessed with Alan Parker. Right, yeah. And the way he would do something very different for each film. Yeah. And in fact, Spielberg did that. Lots of those yeah. directors did really quite different things. And I don't know, it's interesting, isn't it? Like one of my favourite directors, Robert Wise, like would make The Haunting and then Star Trek The Motion Picture yeah. and then The Sound of Music. Yeah. So so just tell a story well. It doesn't really matter what the what the story is. That's the thing I always admired. I love that. How 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 was how did it feel to get the project off the ground and to be moving on it then? Because if it's a idea you'd kind of had in your youth mm. to kind of now be, I'd imagine this, there was certainly a point in your life where you'd given up any idea of it being anything more than an idea I yes. had, and then a point where you're like, oh wow, actually I can return to that. And then you've got to have the conflicts of is it is this a child's idea or is this me yeah. as a grown up's idea, and what's yeah. the difference between those two ideas and how was that? Well, I don't know, really. It, it, I mean, the thing to say is that it is a sort of a miracle that it's been made. Right. I mean, it's an original movie. It's not a franchise. It's yeah. not based on what they call an IP, an intellectual property. It's quite a big studio movie. Yeah. Uh, it's got Patrick Stewart in it and Rebecca Ferguson in it, uh, but it's mainly led by unknowns, by yeah. a cast of kids. So it's a real, commercially speaking, it's, it, it is a miracle that it got financed and that 20th Century Fox, you know, made it happen. And Naira Park and Eric Fellner, the, the producers. And to be honest, I just took each day as it came with my fingers and toes crossed, sort of thinking that at any moment it would all collapse. Yeah. And when I wrote it, I thought, is this ever going to get made? You know, I'm, I, I go to the cinema and I can't see anything like this out there. Yeah. Like, who's going to have the balls to do it? So sort of like a waking dream, the whole yeah. thing, really. Still is, really. <laughs> and I'm just very grateful that um, that it exists and that it's out there, you know. How, how was it working? I mean, the kind of old adage of never work with children or animals, but this film is the key to it is the amazing children involved yeah uh, louis circus who we were discussing before and i've yeah. got to work with in taboo and got to yeah. see how just amazing and natural he is yeah in the lead so how was it to kind of i guess to cast as well because i genuinely think i seem to bang on about this all the time but i think w- one of the keys that is overlooked in a lot of great cinema and tv is f- finding the right unknowns so right. you can lose yourself in it properly rather than it be, oh, there's Tom Cruise. And I yeah. love a Tom Cruise film, but I'm not it's a different I, I'm watching thing, Tom Cruise on screen. You know, I, I'm aware of that. Whereas I think one of the reasons that Game of Thrones has been as huge as it is is because mm. no, no one in it had mm. particularly done anything before. So you're invested in those characters rather mm. than 
it's this I agree completely, and that, that's what I love about European stuff. Yeah. If you don't know famous French or Italian actors or actresses, you, they just are the character. Yeah. And you're not dealing with it on that sort of arm's length way. But you're right in saying that the other way is also extremely exciting and joyful. Yeah, it's, but it's, it's, it's a different. Hate on it, but it's a different. It's thing. a different way yeah. of yeah of experiencing something. Well, I mean, for me, the difference it makes is. I mean, both my films have had a young cast and there aren't that many super famous people around that age. So you're by definition going into it looking for new talent. It's extremely rewarding to give a launch pad for young actors, um, especially when they really work hard and their careers take off. It is an experience you can share with them because as as a first or second time director, you're the least experienced person on the set. Everyone around you has made three films that year, three films a year before. They've all done it more than you. The majority of adult actors are making three or four films a year and there you are, supposed to be in charge and it's your first or second film. So obviously everyone around you is trying to help you and support you and um, especially if you've written it, you're very at the core of it. But to have a cast who are also going on this journey for the first time, it really levels the playing field and really attaches you to them because... Also, they're not at all jaded. They're very excited to be there, especially if it's a film that involves riding on mopeds with samurai swords, <laughs> yeah, fighting yeah. aliens, or uh, dressed in armour, fighting undead knights. Yeah. They're so, uh, I'm going to use a very modern word, jazzed. Yeah. They're so jazzed to be there <laughs> yeah. that that uh, energy and excitement and optimism permeates the set. And the other thing I'd say is it really affects the atmosphere of the shoot because all the you know what film sets are like. It's yeah. quite a lot of grumpy blokes in shorts wearing faded Skyfall T-shirts on their mobile phones. Completely. completely effing yeah. and blinding, yeah. muttering under their breath about this or that. And if you've got young people on the set, everybody has to raise their game. Everyone has to behave, yeah. be nice to each other, set a good example. That's a great point. So, the, um, the kind of behaving and being... Yeah, I mean, not to, nice, not to do that. You know, crews are incredibly hardworking groups of people and and um but they're at work they're they're at work yeah and it just makes it i've enjoyed the process of making both my films so much and i think maybe because there's a little element of wish fulfillment for me and for the people in front of the camera yeah i love that and it it really it does it does make a difference and that on 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 a few of the projects i've been involved in as an actor and coming to it late the reason my role has grown in Taboo, for example, was because I was that excited child. I was I'd be like, we're on a film set. This is mm. fucking nuts. And it is good to remind people of that because, as I said, any job, no matter how professional you are, it becomes your job. And you can become jaded. You can become, oh, I've been waiting for several hours. Whereas if you have kids there or an adult child like me there to kind of go, mate, this is a mate. Have you seen the set? Have you seen the costume? This is this is insane. It, it does bring things up and make it. Yeah, it's infectious, isn't it? And yeah. you know, I remember on Attack the Block, John Boyega, Franz, and Alex, and all those kids standing around Nick Frost and just getting an acting lesson from him and, yeah. and interviewing him and be, being so excited to be near him. Perfect. And then on this movie as well, the, these five kids standing around Patrick Stewart and yeah. getting tips from him, and and you think. You think, oh, whatever the fate of this film, this is a this is a good thing to happen in the world. You yeah. know what I mean? It's an amazing cl- classroom right there that yeah. happens to have a hell of an end of year project. Exactly, it's, yeah. it's kind of perfect. Um, 
who was the young man who played Merlin? Because he was the one that just I I half recognised him. I'm sure I've seen him in some, but he was just he blew me away. I thought it was such an amazing the way it was was written was great, but the way he took it all on yeah. was was fantastic. And it's rare that so Merlin is played. There's a young Merlin and Patrick Stewart playing an older Merlin. It's rare that you're sharing a character with Patrick Stewart. And mm. I'm sitting there thinking, oh, I want more of the young one. <laughs> Rather than, oh, I want more of, of, of Patrick Stewart. Right. Um, well, that's probably my fault. I think, uh, well, he's called Angus Emery. Yeah. And there's all sorts of different levels of experience in this cast. There's there's Louis, who's uh, Andy Serkis's son. Yes. Then he plays opposite a kid called Dean Shamu, who'd done nothing before. Brilliant. Tom Taylor, who'd been in The Dark Tower. Uh, Rihanna Doris, who'd done stage work. Angus is Celia Imrie's son. And he was 22 when we shot. I'd originally envisaged him to be younger. Yeah. But when he came in and auditioned, it was just like, all right, that's that. That's, that's that <laughs> up, He looks 16. I'm fine. Let's yeah. just do it. And he was just one of those miraculous... Moments, it's like like when you're casting a film where the characters have to be a very particular age, you can get away with a lot more flexibility with adults, right? Adults yeah. can play up or of down. Course, it's yeah. not so easy to do that with kids because yeah. unless it's Gary Coleman or Michael J. Fox or someone, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they yeah. usually you can usually tell yeah. their age. So you are sort of limited to all right. Let's see every flipping twelve, thirteen year yeah. old in the country who is interested. Yeah, and whoever the best is, oh, we'll use them. So um, it was sort of similar with Angus. You know, we were looking for someone who looked sixteen, seventeen, yeah. and he—I mean, he—he he came into the audition in costume, wearing a sort of undersized school uniform. Amazing. And he stood up on a table and did that speech where he's trying to, in the lunch hall where he's trying to um, wrangle the crowd yeah. to swear allegiance, and he—he he was just brilliant. I love it. I love it. And and again, it's I I love that story because you hear so much of castings and that and how you should be n- neutral and a- a- allow them to project anything upon you and all this. Yes. But I love that he's turning up <laughs> in costume, standing on the Have desk. You heard Adam's um, story about um, auditioning for Hitchhiker's Guide for no, Gov. Oh, you must ask him that. It's an yeah. incredible story. <laughs> Absolutely, make you want to fold in on yourself and die. <laughs> <laughs> how 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 is it being on? On that side of the casting desk, it must be a hugely exciting task that then also, again, has, has come up several times, that then becomes a job and becomes work. It must be exciting when you find that person, but to see so many, particularly with kids, and then to be having to judge them, to be having to go, I like that one more than that one. How is that as an experience? And as and do you work close with the casting directors on that? or um, What, in terms of letting people down? Um, no, on, on more just, just just on the process of trying to find that right person. Well, you know, there's no... It's like not rocket science for me. It's like you... Like we gave them the milk money scene from Stand By Me. So the monologue right. that um, River Phoenix and Will Wheaton do yeah. in Stand By Me by the campfire. And they learnt it and they came in. And I would either see a tape of them doing it that someone else had shown yeah. me, or they would come into a casting studio and they'd perform it. And then, and then you'd pick people in the room that were really great, but then you'd go home, you'd, I'd watch the tapes on telly, at home, in yeah. my living room, and I would say to myself, well, imagine this was an actual film. Yeah. Do I believe this person? Yeah. And if you do, 
you know, you progress with them. And if you don't, and then if it's a young actor, it's about stamina and, you know, whether you feel they can make it through the shoot and whether mm-hmm. the, f- the f- support system around them is, is good enough to sustain them through a long shoot. Yeah, of course. Um, yeah, but but you you know you're, I'm surrounded by other people helping me with that process. Particularly, Naira Park is very very good at casting, and she will say to me, "Joe, no, yeah, not that person, right? Not that person, yeah." And then she'll always be right. Yeah, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah. So, what were your kind of cinematic influences and cues going into this? You mentioned Stand by Me being used as a, a test and audition scene, essentially mm-hmm. there. Towards the end, in the big finale thing, I was getting moments of Bugsy Malone, really, mm. which is <laughs> as high a compliment as it can get well, for thank you. child cast films, yeah. really. So, what was it? Did you kind of go have specific influences in mind, or is it just you know what's how it's come out? And I don't know. Like I remember when people would ask me this with Attack the Block, I'd, I'd come out with a list of about fifteen films, yeah. and people would go, "Well, we only wanted two. <laughs> Just because I've seen so many films and yeah. there's so many. Um, but I think the thing about this film was to try and make a film about kids, for kids, with kids in it, yeah. like the movies I grew up on, like E.T., Stand By Me, The Goonies, The Black Stallion, Explorers, those classic movies that had uh, uh, Time Bandits is another yeah. very yeah, important yeah, yeah. one. Like I really valued as a kid going to the cinema and seeing myself in films, yeah. especially ones set in the real world yeah. where something came into my bedroom, yeah. <laughs> whether it was E.T. or whether it was that horseman in Time Bandits. Yeah, of Like course. that, holy fuck, the fantasies come to my house. Yeah. Feeling was very strong for me as a kid. Even Close Encounters I saw when I was about seven, the, the, the spaceship invading the, the, the home, you know, yeah. that collision of, of domesticity and fantasy. So that was one of the inspirations. And then really it was because I had the idea and thought of a lot of the scenes when I was 12 or 13. I think, you know, definite E.T. element in terms of kid finding a fantasy thing, definite Excalibur element, which yeah. I'd seen much too young on VHS. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then it was re- I really didn't use a lot of um, filmy influences. I just tried to tell the story. But, yeah. but I think they all come in subconsciously. The Bugsy Malone thing is probably, well, have you ever seen that many kids involved in a big fight on screen yeah, before? exactly. And probably not since the splurge gun fight yeah. at the climax of Bugsy Malone. There's Harry Potter, but they're all a bit older and they're just standing po- pointing wands. But in terms of like hundreds of kids engaged in combat, yeah, you probably haven't seen it since the era of the splurge gun. And, and, <laughs> and, and there's a rule in, in gross, in beauty, in, in, as you said, in rooting it in your world in the real world in in real life and you can then go as fantastical as you want just thinking of things like labyrinth the fact that Mm. it starts in the real world Mm. it means they can then go as crazy as they want but it's got you invested that bit more rather than just watching a lord of the rings or whatever where it's so fantastical it's it's slightly yeah and i think there's something quite good about that for kids because it's it makes a direct connection between you know the the b- banality, the the sometimes toughness of daily life and the existence of fantasy. It draws yeah. a direct connection between them. You don't have to go to another planet. You know, yeah. the fantasy might 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 come to you. Yeah, if for for good and for bad. You know, to keep you yeah. to scare you at night yeah. and to keep you excited in the in the daytime. Exactly. Maybe David Bowie in a weird codpiece will come <laughs> prancing into your room and juggle your baby. That'd be heavenly, right? <laughs> well, um, how was it 
how was or, or what was the difference? I guess stepping into this as your your second project as writer and director than when you were you know starting on Attack the Block. How did you uh, feel? Um, did you feel more confident, or did you feel more confident in those around you? I guess. That... Well, I waited so flipping long between the two. Yeah. That it wasn't as if I was just um, rolling straight off one to another. Yeah, yeah. So no, it was sort of like it was sort of the same. Yeah. It was a longer schedule. It was a much bigger, m- more more ambitious film. It's got you know five or six big old action sequences in it. This film. Yeah. Um, but man, it it's just feel it feels like I said it feels like a dream come true every. You know, every day it was like, oh, my God, I'm getting to do this. Yeah. So it was just fun. And and then you know what it's like when you're making a film. It's like uh, being on supermarket sweep in hell. You've got to make the day. You've, yeah. got, you've got a certain number of scenes you've got to get in the can. Mm. You've got a limited amount of time, especially with children on the set. The hours are yeah. very, very limited. And if you get behind, it starts accumulating and it's financially very quickly very serious. Yeah. And that's when executives come from the studio and people gather around you. And if it gets really bad, you get taken off, another director gets put on. Do you know what I mean? The first yeah. assistant director starts taking yeah. over. That so you are you're it's a kind of a race against yourself. Yeah. So you've got to get the sh- the shoot the scene to the quality you want it within a very limited amount of time and then you've got to deal with the chaos that is the world. Yeah. Somebody being ill, the weather being bad, a prop failing, a set collapsing, a stunt not working. You you're you're trying to play God in a completely fallible world, aren't you? Yeah. Everything's yeah. sometimes literally everything will fuck up. Yeah. And you're like, fucking hell, you know, it's four hours into the day, I've got three hours left with these kids, and I've got so this is a very long winded answer. But I'm saying it, it's sort of um it's sort of sort of Pleasure and pain, isn't it? Yeah, in equal, yeah. <laughs> in equal measures. It's that thing of, of, of like it's not cushy. It's not an indulgence. No, it's completely. it's it's actually brutal and it's an expensive thing as well. So you feel very, um, you know, the the pressure's on to to make it good. The value is once it's done, right? You can't really enjoy it while it's happening. I while don't you're doing I it. I don't. I can't watch Attack the Block really. Yeah. No, because the other thing is, and you'll know this. You know, you know everything about that day and that moment. So yeah, it's always impossible. Bits you could have done yeah, differently. but it's just and, impossible yeah. to watch it with the same eyes as somebody who wasn't there. Yeah, I think a lot of directors, from what I've read, feel that. Yeah, completely. They can't enjoy their own films because they know too much about them. Yeah, <laughs> I know what could have been. I know what yeah. scene could have been there, or how that. Yeah, but no, not only that, just the or... just all the anxieties you had on yeah, the day, yeah. you know, and um, takes you out of it. It's just like looking at holiday photos, yeah, yeah, rather than a novel, you know. Yeah, or, I don't know. I love it. It's, it's it's fascinating. On I hadn't thought about the restrictions of filming with children and with so many children. I did one music video that we had a child in, yeah. and we were lucky enough that we only had one child in it, so we found twins. Oh, cool! That's so we clever. could just switch them That's in and great. out. Yeah. You can't do that with a whole cast of children. No. It'd be a hell of a task. Mm. We've seen every twin in the country. <laughs> That's a good idea. None of them are quite right. That'd be a really good idea. You'd you'd have to be lucky that they were really good actors. Yeah, yeah exactly. But then you would double your and you. That is to an extent what happens because you get doubles. Yeah, yeah. So you find as close a lookalikes as you possibly can. Yeah. 
And if you're shooting the back of their head or shooting them from a distance, yeah. or if they're just out of shot, you'll use the stand-in. Yeah, yeah. So there's a massive, ingenious system of logistics that is in operation to help you get as much time as possible yeah. um, with your with your lead actors. Yeah. I'm, I'm a big fan of... This is going to sound like a weird tangent, but honestly... Mm. I promise you it's going somewhere. Um, I'm a big fan of, of mixed martial arts. And mm. there's a thing when you look at people's fight records and who they've beaten. Mm. And there's a few different fighters who are huge at the moment who their fight records, it's hard to say, look better than they looked at the time. Because the people they've beaten have then gone on to be amazing fighters mm. as well. So, mm. But they beat them when they were young. So it's it's at the time it didn't seem like a big deal. Later on it seemed bigger. It That came to mind with... Both of your your, your, your films so far, because Attack the Block, John Baez mm-hmm. and even jo, Jodie Whittaker at that yeah. point really hadn't done huge things. They've mm. both gone on, obviously, to mm. be huge. And mm. I'm confident that Louis Circus is, is, is mm. going to be doing exactly the same. So how does that feel? Um, I guess more from Attack the Block. How did that feel to see people that you did kind of particularly with John, it would have been a, v- a very early role for him. Mm. It was his first ever thing he his did. first ever thing. Lot, it's yeah. amazing, right? On camera. He'd yeah. be, he had a little, a few tiny parts on stage, but yeah, it was his first, his first time in any film or TV. So is there a pride to then kind of look on? Because you do spend a, a, a huge amount of time with, particularly with the lead on set and bring them up. So did, it, was there a pride to see him go on, obviously get Star Wars, but I think his performance in Detroit and things like that are just mm. amazing and such a, a bold thing. Definitely, definitely a pride. But 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 also, you know, I really don't want to take anything away from him because you sort of, and I've said this before, but you open a door for the person yeah. and then it's up to them and their talent to go through and go where they're going to go. So, you know, he... He he is just really charismatic and talented, and um, people responded to him the second we started screening that film. Yeah. And he and this drama school, he's part of Identity Drama School, run by Femi Ogans, who are super involved in getting, you know, young people, particularly around Peckham, and now expanding all around the country, to give them opportunities to get into film and drama. They work very very hard. They're very ambitious. They take it really seriously. And it was that, you know, and we, I, I gave him a, li- a, a little platform and he did all the work from, from there on, yeah. you know. So, um, but yeah, that, what, that's absolutely your dream was to give uh, the, you know, young people an opportunity, you know, give them an opportunity to launch a career. Yeah, it couldn't be, couldn't be better. Yeah. So what was the, the catalyst for your f- film a career starting because you, you'd been in entertainment for a long time the Adam and Joe show I yes. grew up with you were two, you and Adam were two of the hottest properties on, on radio from kicking off podcasts on XFM and on yeah. 6 what was it Didn't that made you, you say it's very nice you say we d- never felt like that to us we've right. always felt like we were just scrabbling along desperately but still I mean <laughs> even if, if you've been doing it f- for that long, it feels like you'd kind of just be, well, here's what we do, here's our level, here's what... Yeah. Here's what. Whereas if you'd never had anything in entertainment, I can see that you'd be like, oh, I'm just trying to get this film or trying to get this. So was there something that gave you that kind of catalyst to go, not that this isn't where I want to be, but this isn't all I want to do? Well, I'd, al- I want I, I'd is- always wanted to do film, so yeah. I, w- I went to... F- I fantasised about it as a kid, yeah. hence having this idea... I went to. I, we made. I made Super Eight films with Adam at school. So we did. Yeah. We made uh, 
uh, a one-hour Super 8 film called Twitch of the Death Nerve. We stole the title from Mario Bava. It was a modern updating of the Sweeney Todd story. Amazing. Adam played uh, Chief Inspector Donovan Spanner. Louis played his geeky sidekick. Oh, wow. Um, we made another short film called A Few Friends for Dinner, all on Super 8, all edited by hand and with, like, gluey paste and... And we showed it and, and in the school to a very confused audience of bemused-looking parents. And then we put on plays and stuff. And then, um, yeah, so it was, always, it was always my ambition. You know, Adam's always been a much, much more talented comedian and performer than I've been. I've always been the director, right, right. righty-type man who just through competitiveness and jealousy really <laughs> elbowed his way into a sort of um, sidekick role. And uh, yeah, so no, and and even even the, the like those toast booths we did on the Adam and Joe show, yeah. they were an expression of me wanting to yeah. make films. I tended to do the movie parodies, and Adam, I did like Titanic and English Patient, and right. Adam would would love TV a bit more, so he'd do TFI Friday and yeah. uh, Star Trek and stuff, and then and then but then we both did TV parodies with the Star Wars figures. But yeah, it was always. It was always a way just to be making stuff. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Just make stuff. Just produce any way you can. I was working as a runner in the film industry when that opportunity came to Adam to present this show, Takeover TV. Yeah. So I was a production assistant on a British surf movie called Blue Juice, right? With Catherine Zeta-Jones and Ewan McGregor. Wow. I was yeah. I was a runner in Soho, Amazing. like making tea and photocopying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Adam said, "Look, I've got a chance to present this late night lo-fi." comedy show with weird people hammering their penises into bits of wood and <laughs> yeah. and and I was like oh well and he said would would you help me and I went oh but but I'm in, I'm like I've got it I'm it's lowly but I'm working in Soho in films yeah. like do I want to do a weird late night tv thing and I figured well yes I do because we'll be making stuff yeah and it's better to actually just make stuff wherever whenever be productive be editing be making little shorts yeah. than it is making tea you know or running because you're being productive you know yeah. and i think that was the best decision i i ever made and i really owe it to adam for 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 coming and saying to me will you help me out you know yeah. um but it's that's the key it's to be productive right it's all been experienced leading up to it when yeah. it was a, a, a simon Pegg who kind of who hassled me a few times to just try going into acting because he knew i was obsessed yeah. with tv and film yeah. and his point was You've got experience. You've been on stage for yeah. 10 years. It's music, but when you're doing that angry song, you're not really angry. Yeah. When you're doing that sad song, you're not really sad. That's acting. Yeah. It's, you know, there's still a lot to learn, but it's, you it's giving you that confidence you try, to, go, yeah, to give you that confidence to jump in there. So, yeah, the fact is you had been writing and directing everything or a, a lot of things in, yeah. in the TV show and things like that. So it's all... It's all grist for the mill, yeah. And, and, you know, if anybody ever asks me how to get started, that's the thing I always say is just just find a way to do it. Yeah. Don't l wait for anybody else to give you permission. Yeah. Just do it in any way you possibly can, even if it's like on like we did on home video like yeah. with teddy bears. Yeah. <laughs> just just any which way, find, find a way to do it. And then if you keep doing it, someone will notice and hopefully pay you. But was it motivating to see... Nick and Simon and Edgar, because they'd kind of gone from their their very very niche feeling or very specific TV show to Shaun of the Dead and to Hot Fuzz and to the in, yes. it, it transferring over film. And then you've worked obviously with Edgar a lot with 
what you've been doing in writing and yeah, all that. Sp- space so was that... was, um, space was much less niche than the Adam and Joe show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah, space yeah. was yeah. always on in a proper time when proper telly was but on. Themes wise and, and, it and had, it had, I know what you're it saying. Was quite, it, it was yeah. the same sort of pop culture yeah. infused thing, but they had proper narratives and yeah. characters. Yeah. Yeah. We were just a couple of we were like just Blue Peter for weirdos. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we always we always admired that and were desperate to, to have that same sort of credibility yeah. and sense of cohesion in what we did and we were always felt we were a bit kind of ramshackle with all our tiny little bits and bobs um, but for me as a writer Edgar bringing asking whether I wanted to work on Ant-Man with him yeah. was the first thing that happened yeah. and that was years and years ago yeah. while Artisan still had the rights to the Marvel characters they just Wow. Made it big with Blair Witch. Yeah, it was right, a yeah. super long time ago. I think it was it was immediately after Sean. Yeah, it was before Hot right. Fuzz. That's amazing. So to have somebody you know complete a feature film, because my thing was always to finish the fucking script. Yeah. I'd have a million beginnings, a million ends, yeah. loads of little bits and bobs. But to find that cohesive through line seemed like this impossible hurdle to me yeah. for some reason. It seems ridiculous now looking back, but... But for some reason it was. And then so to have someone you know and you know is a someone who is a fallible, normal human being yeah. do it yeah. successfully is incredible. So immediately you go, oh, my God, oh, my God, let's hang out together. Yeah. <laughs> How do you do it? And just his confidence and his ability to see stuff through and not be too self-critical. Right, yeah. The redrafting process to know that it's fine to get something not very good down in the knowledge that you'll refine it and improve it. Yeah. Um, yeah, he, so that was, you know, but basically I owe everything to Adam and Edgar Yeah, is the truth. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a, a real key point there that people can, again, it's the, um, just, just paralyzing yourself mm. in, in procrastination mm. or, or, or over an, a, a paralysis through mm. analysis yes. to stop you getting anything done. Cause you, you're thinking so long and you're right. Just get something down and then make it better. Even if yeah. it just gets to the end of a script, that script might be trash. It's why it's tough when scripts leak and the media are saying it's yeah, awful yeah, scripts. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. A lot of scripts are awful when they're first done. Yeah. You're just trying to get to that end point to then go, right, why did I write that? That's terrible. How can I improve yeah. that? Or like 40% of it's really good. Yeah, I think it's like doing a crossword or Scrabble. Like It's better in Scrabble to play the hand that you can see now. Yeah. And just move on and yeah. get the new letters. Yeah. And it's better in a crossword to skip six across and go to 15 down because you know it. Because yeah. by the time you've got the four words around it, the other one will fall into place. Yeah. So do the bits that you find easy yeah. and just work your way around to the tough bits because they'll be informed by the other bits. Do you know what I mean? Completely. I it's, and it's, it's, it's having the confidence that you'll be able to get those other bits rather than yeah. holding off and waiting just going no let's just move forwards yeah. I've, I can write yeah. I do know how this works yeah. I'm going to do this or even I'm going to continue to do this I don't need to hold back ideas because yeah. like, oh, no, I'm holding that idea for my big film it's like, no just do it now yeah. just make anything you're working on talk the best to people as well is always a good thing to yeah. someone you trust just talk them through the story because when you say it out loud sometimes you yeah. go oh fucking hell that bit's not so good is it now, now <laughs> yeah. it's come out of my head well, What's this? Well, I'll, I'll, I'll start to wrap things up. There's kind of two bits I wanted to kind of end on. And one is mm. a weird question of do you miss radio and broadcasting? Because I've had the experience of as much as I, I love performing live, I've always adored that. 
since I've stopped, I don't miss it at all. I'm so excited about acting and writing scripts and stuff like that myself mm. that there is, I've been surprised at how little I miss it. So, so do you find that you miss broadcasting? Do you enjoy the kind of return on Adam's podcast at Christmas and stuff like that? Is that enough to sate any desires you might have to... Sort of. No, I really do miss it. I miss little things that happen in my daily life that are funny mm. or things that I experience that I, I'm i inspired by that I want to share. I miss the sharing of it. Yeah. And having a... We had such a fantastic audience on that show. Yeah. And it was very rewarding to just share stuff and get that feedback. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I do miss it. But the the downside was it was it it consumed our it really did consume our whole lives. Yeah. So it was eventually very difficult for me to do both, just because it takes a while to write a dreadful song about <laughs> yeah. whatever it was. <laughs> you know, it's um, all consuming when it is a regular a regular yeah, commitment. That's all the, the thing. Time. Yeah. It's constant, right? And most people on the radio do it every day of the week, and then they do panel shows, and then they do a column. Yeah. So that's the way you earn enough money as yeah, well. That just yeah. to do one show once a week yeah. is also, especially when you spent as because we really did used to read every single email and letter, it's, and it's, we used to, you know, yeah. I obviously used to write a lot of the best jingles. Adam wrote a couple <laughs> of reasonable ones, but I was the main. Yeah. Jingle producer, so um, but uh, yeah, uh, but yeah, so so I do miss it. Yes, I do. Yeah. So so what's ahead then? Obviously, this is always this is often a short question with writers or directors or anyone in film because there's often a lot you can't talk about. But what's the plan going forward? Is it to write and direct more? Is it to focus on writing or directing? Are those do you see them separately or can they only you can only see them as married? I I really don't know. I've got I've got projects i'd like to do i've got lots more ideas but um i wouldn't rule out some project if it came along i really don't yeah. know i'm gonna have a holiday that's a good plan for the first time in five years that's a hell of a plan me and my other half are gonna go on holiday for two weeks that was the thing oh that struck God. me the most oh when i talked to garth was how yeah. long he and his yeah. family had to uproot and change wait. their whole life and then you get that break i'm got, looking at youtube you videos of this uh, resort we're going to yeah. in um Mauritius, yeah, and it's like it's just uh, heaven. Is there a is there a, a lazy river? There, <laughs> what like a theme park ride? Yeah, yeah, like there a... isn't. There's a pool though. <laughs> My God, I can't wait. I well, don't know what I'm going to do. Well, that's perfect. I'll I'll, I'll leave it there and uh, and and let you continue dreaming of being of being a far away from here. Thanks, Pip. Thank you very much. It's nice been a pleasure. Been an honour. Thanks for having me. There we go. That was J- J- Joe Cornish. A lovely conversation. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I didn't want to. I know I talked tons at the start, but then I got to the point of talking about the actual episode. I didn't. I want to, but what I wanted to say is what I said to Joe was the beauty of watching my goddaughter and her sister kind of getting excited at this film. It made me realise why people go and see films with other people present i generally try and see every film in as empty a cinema as i possibly can but i got it for a second there i got it uh brett goldstein of the films to be buried with podcast often talks about comedies and horrors he likes to see in a room full of people they're the two that the experience is heightened 
by other people going through the same experience at the same time. And I never got that. And then I did at this one. It made sense to me. So yeah, that was cracking. In my excitement at the start to tell you a big story about my panic and my stress and about how it all didn't record properly and I was spinning out. I forgot to do any of my plugs I normally do, which you all probably skip through, like speechdevelopmentrecords.com, which is where you can go and buy my Edinburgh Fringe DVD or digital download. You can buy all my music. There's vinyl there. There's so much merch. Some would say too much merch. I've got these amazing new gloves that I was working on for six months, no lie. And I'm glad that the reaction has been incredibly excited as well. But yeah, that's all over at speechdevelopmentrecords.com. If you don't want to buy merch, but you want to support the podcast because you listen to it for free all the time. I mean, this week, in fact, just this week and last week, we've had Hollywood star. In fact, let's go to the last three weeks. Four guests in three weeks. We've had Richard E. Grant, Oscar nominated, straight after he'd been Oscar nominated. Hollywood star Joel Egerton, absolutely amazing with his his film Boy Erased, which is amazing. Richard uh, Richard was on with his film Can You Ever Forgive Me, also amazing. Then earlier this week, we had living legend Mary J. Blige. Come on. God damn, I almost turned into Theo Vaughn there. I wanted to get really excited and go kind of redneck but i mean that's pretty good and she was on to talk about umbrella academy which is on netflix right now and then today joe cornish someone you've all been requesting for a long time if you enjoyed this i should mention i've had adam buxton on previously loads of great guests previously and in fact let's have a quick run through of people that are related to joe cornish in one way or another let's say adam buxton let's throw in nick frost simon pegg uh michael smiley I don't know if he's associated at all, but it's that crowd, isn't it? Um, some great people, basically. So, yeah. If you want to support all of that because you're getting it all for free, then you can pay a dollar a month over at my Patreon. Um, you can pay more than a dollar, but it's a dollar a month and you get everything. There's no tiers to get extra stuff. You pay a dollar a month or you, if you pay $10, $10 a month, you don't get anything more. You just get my gratitude multiplied by 10 which is pretty a lot. That might be too much for you and it might be too intense. But yeah, over there you also get Poem of the Month where I record a poem on the first Monday of every month. You get the Distraction Pieces podcast rewind. Distraction Pieces rewind podcast. I don't really know the name of it, but it's cool. I go over previous episodes and discuss stories behind the scenes and things like that. In fact, it's much like the, the intro of this podcast where I gave a little insight into how it all happened and what happened. So if you enjoyed that dollar a month you can get more of it lovely anyway i'm going to leave it there let me see actually let me just check so that's going to be there so so, so yeah i should mention that um the distraction pieces rewind starts this coming monday so february 18th it's going to be the first ever one so you're going to want to tune in for that i'm telling you i'm telling you now yeah that's pretty cool right so i go over the first five episodes and discuss some behind-the-scenes stories, some kind of some motivations, some stuff that didn't happen, or some stuff that didn't happen, some stuff that happened that I didn't talk about, about uh, how I met some of the guests and stuff like that. So, and some of the reactions to some of the podcasts. So honestly, it's it's well worth going over and spending that that dollar. I tell you that for free. In fact, I'll charge you a dollar to tell you that if you're not careful. Right, I'm out of here. Um, 
next week's guest who who is it next week i often don't tell people in advance but as as this one's recorded already let me just go into my files it's not really files i've just got it on my phone next week's guest i've got so many exciting one recorded that i just want to tell you about next week's guest is actually up for debate i'm thinking of moving it around that's annoying but if it is the one i think it is the next week's guest is the one that got the biggest reaction on my social on my patreon when i announced it i think next week again i don't want to say in case i push it but it got the biggest a reaction of all the posts i've done on patreon so far this year do i tell you or do i hold it what was I waiting on? There's another podcast that might be coming in, wasn't there? I'm not going to tell you. I'm not going to tell you. But if you tune in next week, it might be the best episode that I've ever done. Um, and it might not necessarily be someone that you're familiar with. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm looking over, I'm looking at the list now and looking at all the ones I've got recorded. One, two, three, four, five. Like the next five are all recorded and they're all fucking cracking. They're really good. Um, and the ones I've got lined up, I'm also looking at also really good. I might have to do another um, March Madness and put a few double. No, I'm going to leave it as it. We'll see. I'm rambling on now. I will see you all next week. Be good to yourself and each other. <laughs>